take your Bibles this morning, please, and go ahead and find Acts chapter 9. We'll begin there today, and then we'll move over to Philippians chapter 3 as we continue our study through this little book of Philippians. And we're going to cover the third chapter, God willing, today and then next week. And then after that, uh, we'll kind of reserve chapter 4 probably for next year because we'll move into the themes of Thanksgiving and Christmas and all those things, those wonderful times of celebrating God's goodness. And then we'll come back probably to chapter 4. Uh, in 2010. But let's go ahead and find our place there in Acts chapter 9 today, and then we'll move over to Philippians chapter 3 if you want to go ahead and find that as well uh, so you can get there. Uh, someone sent me a story about a woman uh, who was driving through a snowstorm uh, just outside of uh, Denver, Colorado, and uh, she was completely lost. Uh, she was struggling. It was hazardous uh, weather conditions, and uh, she was relieved because she happened uh, upon a snowplow. Now, she was lost. She didn't know where she was. So she decided that she would follow this truck. And so she began to follow the truck. And she kept as close as she could to this truck as it was removing the snow from the road. At times, the wind was blowing the snow so much that it cut off her view. But she just kept centered and kept herself right behind that snowplow following that truck. Well, this went on for some time, and after a while, the snowplow stopped. And so she stopped, and the driver got out and came back to her car. And, of course, this seemed a bit unusual to her. Uh, but uh, she rolled down her window, and he said, Lady, where are you going? And the lady said, Well, I'm on my way to Denver. And the truck driver said, Well, you'll never get there following me. I'm plowing a parking lot. <laughs> You know, we laugh and and we smile and chuckle at that story, but that woman reminded me of millions of people today who are following someone or something, and they think they're really getting somewhere and really making progress, but in reality, they're just running back and forth in a parking lot. They're still lost as they can be. They're not getting anywhere really in life. Have you given any serious thought lately? I mean, serious thought to what you are pursuing in life. Have you honestly and really evaluated how you're spending your life? You know, you're spending your money, you're spending your time, you're spending your energy, you're spending your effort in pursuit of something. What is it? What are you pursuing in life? For some, they're seeking to climb the ladder in their career. They're waiting to get that coveted key to the corner office. Others are just killing time, if you will, just waiting for some date in the future where they can retire and then really begin to live life. Some folks are just pursuing the next great adventure or the next great fun they can have, the great thrill of life, hoping that that will bring the satisfaction that they're missing in their lives. Others have their eye upon some big goal or some big possession or some great event before them, and they're pursuing that. Hoping to find the answer. Likewise, sadly, some are just looking forward to their next drink or their next snort or their next buzz or one night stand or some other sexual high or pleasure. And on the extreme opposite of that end, you have some who are looking for the next great spiritual activity or spiritual conference conference or spiritual book that will really take them 
where they think that they really want to be. And they kind of live their life on a spiritual roller coaster, up and down, up and down, up and down, hoping they can find the answer. Everyone is pursuing something. Everybody's looking for something. Everyone's searching for something. You know, Saul of Tarsus was a man who had everything going for him. He had the right pedigree, accomplishments, training. He had ambition and he had religion. Chuck Swindoll had this to say about Saul. He said, in today's terms, the proud Pharisee known as Saul of Tarsus won all the marbles, the Pulitzer, the Medal of Honor, the most valuable player, the Heisman, the gold medal, the Nobel of ancient jewelry. Had they had newspapers or magazines in his day, his picture would have been on the front page. The headlines would have read religious zealot of the decade. His name was the name dropped by everybody who was anybody. Any search for a model to follow would have led to the scholar from Tarsus. But you'd have to move fast to stay up. He wasn't nearly finished with his plan to rid the world of Christians. The last entry in his daytimer read next stop Damascus. But on that fateful trip, everything changed. I want us to join him on that trip to Damascus. By now, you hopefully have found Acts and you're looking out the ninth chapter, Acts chapter nine. I'll begin reading at verse one, Acts chapter nine, verse one. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, that is the way of Christ, the way of Jesus, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the street, which is called straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth and have seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. 
And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway, watch this, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them? which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Now, fast forward 30 years and find Philippians chapter three. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi from prison in Rome. Many believe he was under house arrest at this time. And here's what he said to them in Philippians chapter three, beginning at verse one. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in law, blameless. Verse seven, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, as we go back and look at Philippians chapter three, you notice this this uh, passage, this chapter begins with the word finally. Finally, it's like he's about to wrap things up, but then you keep reading and he writes two more chapters. Is he like some preachers who say, well, in closing or finally, and then preach on another 15 or 20 minutes? Well, you have to understand that word finally there can also mean now then or furthermore. Now then or furthermore. He's kind of switching gears in the letter. He's just commended his friends. He talked about Timothy, he talked about Epaphroditus, and now he's kind of switching gears. And if you give them some words of warning, some words to take note of. But before he does this, he reminds us of something that we all need to remember. Look at verse one again. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. There it is again. We keep finding it over and over again. It's the theme of this book. It's the theme of this book. We cannot get away from it. Why? Because Paul couldn't get away from it. He's in prison at the moment, but he's still joyful. How? Well, you see, beloved, joy does not depend on circumstances. Joy is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice very carefully, it says, my brethren, rejoice 
in the Lord, in the Lord. Circumstances change. Problems come and go. We get inundated with all sorts of things. But our focus is not upon them. Our focus is upon the Lord. And our joy is found in the Lord who changes not. And Paul, it says there, does not grow weary in telling them over and over again to write the same things to you for me. Indeed, it's not grievous, but, but for you it is safe. It will help secure you. It will help keep you. What he's about to tell him is very important. Obviously, he told it to them before. Repetition is a wonderful thing in learning and teaching. Let's notice Paul's warning here. Verses one through three. Verse two says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, beware, beware, beware. Now, who in the world is he talking about here? Is he talking about three different groups of people or is he talking about one group with three different descriptions? We believe the latter is the case. The three bewares are all aimed at the same group of people. Well, who is it, preacher? Well, those known as the Judaizers or the legalist. We might think, okay, that's about clear as mud. Who were the Judaizers? Who were they? And why would Paul describe them this way? Well, let's go back and think about each one of those descriptions. First of all, beware of dogs. Now, that's a common phrase and expression for us, isn't it? We see that sign out in the country. We see it all over the place. We know what it means. Be careful. Be alert. Be aware. You need to be aware of a dog that's there upon the premises or some folks are smart. They don't have a dog. Still put up the sign to have people beware. But beware of dogs. But, you know, you have to admit that's not a nice description of someone, right? It's not a nice description. And some might say, well, you don't know my dog. You know, that compared to my dog, they'd really think that was a compliment. Well, listen. Paul is not talking about your little rover or your uh, fluffy or your little lap dog. Listen, uh, as one scholar said, in the first century society, dogs were vicious, roaming, filthy, manging and, and, and menacing scavengers. Dogs is used to describe the Judaizers as vicious, roaming and menacing scavengers who sought to convert Paul's converts into their way of thinking. In other words, they were scavengers. They were wanting to come in behind Paul and kind of mess up the work that was going on there and lead people astray. He said, beware of dogs. Then he said, what? Beware of evil workers. Paul said what they're doing is evil. The work they're doing is evil. Dwight Pentecost said they were not interested in leading people to a knowledge of God. They only wanted to convert men to their own party. They only wanted to get you on their side, in their group, as part of their numbers. He said, beware of these evil workers, beware of these dogs, and then beware of the concision. And that's not a phrase we're really uh, familiar with. And it may not make a whole lot of sense, but keep reading because it means mutilation or cutting in pieces. Beware of the mutilation. Beware of the cutting in pieces. If you read the next verse, it makes more sense. For we are the circumcision. It's kind of a play on words there. You see, the Judaizers taught that a man had to be circumcised in order to be saved. As one put it, these men invite you to come to Christ with the Bible in one hand and a sharp knife in the other. In other words, it wasn't Jesus only. It wasn't grace through faith in Jesus alone. It was Jesus plus circumcision. 
Paul had much to say about these folks. Some of you that studied Galatians with us on Wednesday night might remember uh, we studied much here concerning those who sought to add to the gospel. Galatians 5, 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, which is worked by love. Galatians 6, 12 through 13. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. Only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. They desire to add to the gospel. Say, hey, you know, Jesus, that's fine, but you need to be circumcised. You you need to do this. And beloved, believe me today, the legalists are still alive and well in the church today. One man said it so eloquently, he said, legalism has no pity on people. It makes my opinion, your burden, your boundary and your obligation. Think about that. You can understand why Paul had such harsh words for the Judaizers, because they were perverting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were preaching a false gospel. He said in Galatians chapter one, these words, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you who would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we listen, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be what? Accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel in you than that you've received, let him be accursed. I can't think of stronger language. That's why Paul says, listen, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, those who seek to this glory in your flesh. If they preach another gospel, let them be accursed. Now, today, today, beloved. It may not be circumcision. They say, well, you know, Jesus is fine. You need to trust Jesus. Listen, you also need to do good works to be saved. That's a false gospel. That's a false gospel. They said, listen, Jesus is fine, but you also need to get baptized to be saved. That's a false gospel. That's a false gospel. Jesus is fine, but you also need to tie this amount to really be Say that's a false gospel. Jesus is fine, but you also need to join our church to be saved. That's a false gospel. Jesus is fine, but you also need to live a good life to be saved. That's a false gospel. You need to keep the law with Jesus. That's a false gospel. On and on and on. It is a false gospel. That's not the gospel. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You're saved by grace through faith. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Grace through faith. What about those things, though? Were those things evil? Do we do good works? Well, the scripture talks about it right in there after Ephesians 2, 9 there about that we do good works. We don't do them to be saved. We end up doing them because we are saved and we love the Lord. We want to honor him and serve him. It flows out of our salvation. It's not a part. What about baptism? 
I believe if you're a believer and you know Jesus is Christ, your savior, the very next step is baptism. Why? It's a step of obedience. It's telling others, I know Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm a child of God, but it is not essential to salvation. What about tithing and church membership and those sorts of things? Those things are wonderful, but they do not save us. They do not keep us saved. We do these things out of obedience and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not what I do, but what he has done. It's not what I accomplish, but what he has accomplished. It's not my self-righteousness. It's his righteousness. It's not my good works. It's his finished work upon Calvary. Paul shows the difference between the concision, the mutilation in verse number two and true circumcision in verse number three. He puts forth a contrast here. He shows the true believer. Look at verse three. For we notice that for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. You see, for the believer That circumcision is not the cutting of the foreskin. Listen to what it is. Romans 2. Jot this verse down. These verses. Romans 2, 28, 29. Listen. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, the Judaizers and their praising, not of men, but of God. And just as he gave three descriptions of the false teachers, he gives three descriptions of the true believers. Would you notice those with me? First of all, they worship God in the spirit. John four twenty four says God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. True believers worship uh, uh, with their human spirit through the Holy Spirit. It's not just a fleshly show. It's not just a fleshly activity. We worship in spirit and in truth. Then notice verse three again. They rejoice in Christ Jesus. The idea of rejoicing there is the idea of boasting in or glorying in or taking pride in. Listen, a true believer, a child of God. He boasts in, he glories in, he takes pride in Jesus Christ, not himself. Uh, Galatians 6.14, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Listen, the Judaizers, they glorified in their own self-righteousness, their own works, other circumcision, all those things. He says, listen, a true believer, they worship in spirit and truth. They rejoice in glory and boast in Jesus Christ. Then notice what else it says in verse three. They have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence. A true believer knows they cannot earn, they cannot merit, they cannot get salvation through their own efforts and works. They realize left to themselves, they are in trouble, they're doomed, and they're damned. Left to themselves. It's an interesting parable. Let me share it with you. Luke 18. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners and unjust and adulterers, or or even as this publican. 
I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And verse 14 says, I tell you, this man, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And I believe, beloved, as Paul wrote these words about the Judaizers and about the true believers, his mind went back to his own life. And we go back now and look at Paul's example. We saw Paul's warning. Look at Paul's example. He begins to recount his life before Jesus Christ. Paul says, in essence, you think you can boast in your works and your accomplishments? Look at verse number four. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He's saying, look, if you think you have your own self-righteousness and you've done enough, I want to tell you about the old Paul. I want to tell you about Saul of Tarsus. And he begins to recount his accomplishments and his pedigree. He says, first of all, what? Circumcised the eighth day. That is, he wasn't a convert to Judaism. His parents brought him according to the law. He's a true Jew. Leviticus 12, 3 says, and in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. He was he was right in accordance with the law, even at the age of eight days old. He it says next, they're circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. In other words, he could trace his roots back to the patriarchs. He was not one that came and converted to Judaism. He was a true Israelite. He was a true Jew. Notice Jew. what it says next. The tribe of Benjamin. What's so great about that? Well, one of the things they rejoiced in was Saul. The first king came from the tribe of Benjamin. Then he said, what? I'm in Hebrew, the Hebrews. What about that? He spoke Hebrew. He knew Hebrew. He was schooled by Gamaliel, a scholar. Then it says what? As touching the law of Pharisee. He was of that group that held the strictest interpretation of the law. Then notice what else it says about him. Look at verse six concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He was a zealous persecutor. He saw Jesus and Jesus followers as an enemy. And he went out as a terrorist, if you will, seeking to stamp out Christianity and the followers of Christ. We read about that back in Acts chapter nine. Then notice what else it says about him. Uh, um, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Now, he was not sinless, but blameless. What he meant by that was outwardly. No one could point the finger and say, look, you've messed up at this point. You've messed up at that point. Listen, religiously speaking, Paul had it together. He was somebody. But that was the problem. That was the problem. He had religion. <clears throat> but not a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, it's not a religion you need. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion says, do this, do that. Don't do that. And maybe you'll make it if you work hard enough. Jesus says, come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest to your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Millions of people today are like that lady behind that snowplow. Thinking they're getting where they want to go. 
When in reality, they're lost and wandering about, getting nowhere. Getting nowhere. There's a sad passage, I don't know if you've ever given serious thought, but it's in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. It says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. We were religious. We even did it in your name. Verse 23 says, And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Beloved, do you have religion? Or do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you taken him by grace through faith alone? Are you truly born again? You see, Paul came to an end of himself there on that road to Damascus. He saw Jesus. And then he saw himself. And he saw that his own self-righteousness were dirty, filthy rags. And he knew he was undone. And that Christ, Christ was the one who paid his pardon. Do you know Jesus today? Is your faith in Jesus or is it in your own self-righteousness? Or you say, you know, well, I'm a pretty good person. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. You say, well, I'm working hard. The Bible says, not by works which we have done, lest any man should boast. The Bible says, uh, you might be thinking, well, I'm religious. So was Paul. So was Saul of Tarsus. He stood head and shoulders above anything you'll ever hope to be in religion. But he was lost. Paul's warning, beware, beware, beware. Paul's example, look, I did all this, but I was still lost. And finally, this morning, Paul's desire, beginning at verse seven. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost. For what? For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dumb. That I may win Christ and be found in him. Watch this. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is by God, by of God, by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. What was Paul's desire or goal now? It was to know Christ. Now, he already knew him as Savior and Lord. That was settled. But he wanted to know, and that word know there is the idea of knowing experientially. Knowing him more and more. He wanted to know more of Jesus. Now look at what he lost. He lost his own faulty self-righteousness. He counted his dung as rubbish, as refuse. But look at what he gained. Christ and his righteousness. Verse 10 says, I want to know Christ. 
I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be conformed into his death. He wanted to be like Jesus. He wanted to know Jesus more and more. To, to Saul, it was all Saul, Saul, Saul. Look at what I've done. But to Paul, it was all Christ. Christ, Christ. Christ alone. He wanted Christ. He had him as Savior, but he wanted to know him more. Let me ask you, what are you chasing after? Are you like the Apostle Paul who's chasing after Jesus? Or are you like that poor woman in the parking lot in the snowstorm? Looking for something, trying to get somewhere, but lost and headed nowhere. What are you chasing after? What do you really want in life? If you had to honestly answer that question today, what do you want in life? How would you answer it? You know what Paul would say? I want Christ. I want Christ. I want more of Christ. I want this resurrection power. I want to know about his sufferings. I want to be conformed to his death. I want Jesus. You know, as I was studying this, I also thought about this question. What do you want for your children? Is it a good education? Is it material success? Or is it Christ-likeness? Nothing wrong with a good education. Nothing wrong with success gained the right way and used the right way. Material success even. But the main goal we should have is what? Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. There's so much. I wish we had more time here today. But there's a lot already of what we've said. If we had to summarize in three words and we're going to close... I'm going to say finally, like Paul did, but we're going, to, we're going to close here. We can summarize with three words. Rejoice, beware, and know. Rejoice in the Lord. That's where true joy is found. Beware of false teachers and the false gospel. Make sure that you're truly saved. Make sure that you're sharing the true gospel by grace through faith in Christ. And then know, make Christ your goal. Remember, what really counts in life, know what it is? Knowing Jesus. Knowing Him, of course, as your Savior and Lord, but then knowing Jesus more and more and more. The hymn writer said it this way, more about Jesus what I know. More of His grace to others show. More of His saving fullness see. More of His love who died for me. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness, see. More of his love who died for me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your house. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your goodness. I thank you for people's kind attention today. Work in hearts and lives now. This invitation time, if someone needs to come today and meet Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray they'll step out and come. Lord, for believers, work in hearts. Examine our motives, our goals, what we really want in life. Lord, it's so easy to get distracted and misdirected and misguided. Help us to follow the Lord and love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To know more and more and more of Jesus. Bless this invitation now in the Savior's name. Amen.